I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. wine, it was a part of Thomas Jefferson's life at an early age. At his childhood home, an inventory from 1769 listed four bottles of Portuguese wine, 15 bottles of Madeira, 54 bottles of cider, and 83 bottles of rum. But Jefferson's interest in wine intensified, especially after his ambassadorship to France, which took him through many of France's most famous vineyards. On a rainy day in February 1787, Thomas Jefferson left Paris in a carriage to tour France and Northern Italy. A few months earlier, he had injured his wrist in a horse accident and was headed to treat it in the healing mineral waters found in the spas of Provence. But on his way, he made a remarkable tour of France's wine country and helped stir up interest in French wine among his contemporaries. He was also scouting vines he thought might thrive at his Monticello home in Virginia. His discoveries on his journey would also guide him later when he took on the task of stocking the White House wine cellar. After leaving Paris, his first wine stop was in Champagne. At that time, sparkling wine hadn't been perfected, and much of the production was a pale red, similar to today's red burgundy. Jefferson wasn't a fan of what he tried. Though later in life, Jefferson would often serve sparkling champagne at the White House, in Champagne, he wasn't a fan of what he tried and wrote in his notebook, wine not good. He traveled south to Burgundy and toured Chambertin, Vougot, Romanet, Vaughan, Nuit, Bonne, Pomard, Volnay, Merceau, and Montrachet. In those pre-Phylloxera days, he visited several vineyards that were over a hundred years old. Jefferson enjoyed the strongest wines, in particularly those of Chambertin, because he knew they would better sustain the travel to North America. He also visited Claude Vougot when it was still a monastery and all the wine was made by Cistercian monks. Shortly after Jefferson's visit, in the throes of the French Revolution, the monastery would be auctioned off to private owners. 
In Bone, he befriended wine merchant Etienne Parent, who would guide some of his future purchases. He also discovered the delicious whites of Merceau and loved them so much that they became his housewife at his Paris residence. He spent a few days at a large estate in Beaujolais and remarked at how the people of Burgundy and Beaujolais appear well-clothed and well-fed. He took a liking to Cote Roti wines and ordered some for his house in Paris. Interestingly, he ordered bottles of Cote Roti, not casks. Bottles at the time were a relatively new way to ship wine. But how would Jefferson open the bottles? He was able to remove those corks because, like so many of us modern sommeliers, he carried a corkscrew with him in his toothbrush kit. In Hermitage, he enjoyed the white wines and would order 500 bottles of it for the White House cellar later during his presidency. In Marseille, he learned how to store wine bottles from wine merchant Henri Bergas, who recommended covering the bottles with sand. But upon hearing of famous rice in northern Italy, he traveled farther south, hoping to find a new crop for the colonies. He bought a rice processing machine and also smuggled rice out in his pockets, hoping to plant some in the colonies. He smuggled it at the risk of death if he were caught. While he was on this rice excursion, he sampled Nebbiolo, and he described it as tasting brisque. Jefferson had fun with wine, especially at Monticello. At dinner parties, he'd open a panel next to his fireplace and put in an empty bottle of wine. And shortly thereafter, he'd open it again and pull out a full bottle. He'd had a dumbwaiter installed that went right down to the wine cellar. Getting his favorites to the colonies, it wasn't easy. Ships sank with his orders on board, pirates took some, and unscrupulous shipmates would sample the barrels and then top them up with water. But all the hassles and all the costs and all the time and all the labor that it took to get wine to the colonies, it was worth it to Jefferson because, as his famous phrase so clearly states, wine, it's a necessary of life. It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T partners with an s.com offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand Daniel Ravier of Domaine Tampier on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. I'm well. I'm well. Traveling. and uh, Happy to be in New York. 
Nice to see you. Good to see you. So you began at Tampier in 2000. Yes, yes. How did that come about? Oh, it's a long story. Um, in fact, I um, after school, I, I first have a sort of an internship at Dominot and uh, where they, they asked me to stay after the, the army, which I did. And um, You went to the army for a while and then you went back to work for them. Yes, yes. Army was an obligation at that time for me, so I had to go there. And so I decided that I could stay there, that the wines were, the wines, the region was very, very interesting and that I could stay there. And then I moved to another property that is about a smaller property called Domaine de Souviou, where I stayed for 10 years there. And maybe because of the wine that I was producing there, uh, François and Jean-Marie, the two brothers, asked me to join the property. But honestly, thinking about these wines and what is Tampier, I... It's difficult for me to imagine the reason why they chose me. <laughs> I had the feeling of changing of world of wine in a way, knowing something very, very different standard, higher standard at, at Tampier than what I was working with before. And essentially because of the terroir, the quality of the job done in the terroir. So you were born in the Savoie, you were raised there. Yeah. You went down to work in that area of Provence at Ott, you started to really like Provence, maybe because the sun is shining and the women are prettier. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, you are right. You are right. My wife is from the South. <laughs> it's good reason to go down. <laughs> and she's part of the reason why I moved down, honestly. And, uh, you know, it's life accidents. You don't know why sometimes. And you, you you try to do that. And then you say, well, let's try that. And, and honestly, when I first started to work at Bandol for me, that was sort of a, a discovery and in the same time a sort of uh, wedding even with the appellation what, i was very happy to be there what did you begin to notice about the region it's hard to say you know it's sort of a feeling because of the weather a special climate close to the sea of course but still windy enough to have a, a clean weather because we are on the east part of the rhone valley having the end of the mistral and also um you know we are close to toulon and just in between us and Toulon, there is a, a cape on the sea that is called Cap Cissé. And for people that are uh, sailing a bit, it's a quite a hard cap. It's not very easy to deal with, even if it's on the Mediterranean Sea, which is known as a quiet sea and not very hard. could be very, very uh, stressful. And this place is very, very noticeable for that. So maybe there are changes in the, in the climate also, because we are just on the good side of that cap, let's say. And also when you have all these small slopes, you know, the feeling I had there when coming was, oh, that's lovely, lovely place. I'd like to know what's going on there. And then after, of course, the wines were showing well. I've always been impressed by the wines of Bondol. Sometimes a bit more rustic probably in the past, but really, really interesting consistency, sort of always sort of an energy in the wine. And for me, that was very, very important, you know. And of course, my wife is from the south, so she considered like, let's say, northern part of Avignon is Siberian country. So she doesn't want to move up north. <laughs> north. So because of that, it makes good reasons to stay uh, in the south, of course, but mostly a uh, key point for me was wine, of course. So the Payroll brothers came to visit you in 1999, and what yeah. did they say? They came in and I saw that they were coming for, for uh, Francois came and uh, he said, uh, I thought he was coming for tasting, you know, and he said, oh, could we have a discussion? And he said to me, well, listen, would you like to be in charge of Tampier? Well, well, uh, 
that's not the question you are prepared to be asked anyway, you know? So I said, of course, but what do you want? Why are you asking me that? And what do you want to do? We, we must speak about that. So it took us about five to six months to uh, discuss together, to see what they were expecting. Was I the good guy for that? Uh, and uh, were the conditions good also enough for me and for them? To see if it's going, if it could work, and also as I was deeply involved in the place where I was before, you know, where everything has to be made at that time, and where I've, I was leading a project, you know, quite interesting because new, but not at the same level of Tampere, of course. That was very, very difficult for me to make the decision to, to leave a place where I've been deeply involved and say, well, you have to do something new now. If I was somebody that have a career plan. I should have changed earlier, of course. But if I have changed earlier, the Perro brothers, they wouldn't have come and asked me. So I was lucky enough to stay there <laughs> and that they came to visit us. And then so uh, in 2000, they asked me to join the property. In fact, I have the feeling that the two brothers, they were in time, they were on, able to have their retirement. And so... Uh, that was also the possibility for four of the sisters to be back in the system. And probably at that time, it sound now a bit, uh, if it was easier to have somebody not from the family to be in charge of the domain. Because uh, there so, were seven siblings. There yeah, was Lucien and Lulu had seven kids. Seven, seven kids, five daughters and two brothers. The two brothers were working on the property. Four of the sisters were really, really interested on what was going on on the property and they wanted to know what was going on. And one of the sisters wanted to quit. So she decided to quit and they, they organized the things to modify the status, permit that sister to leave, permit the four other sisters to be back in the business. Uh, I mean, in the, you, you can imagine shares and all that stuff, uh, organizing society so that it could be possible. And probably easier to have somebody not from the family that at that point to be in charge of the domain. So that's what happened. We had a period of uh, two years where they say, well, listen, we are going to see what's happening. And if it's okay, we will keep going on. And for the moment so far, <laughs> it's going on. Because it's uh, been 14 years now. 14 years now, yeah, yeah. And what do you think that they expected from you at the beginning? I don't know. Maybe just make sure that Tampier will steal Tampier. Uh, that's probably the, the only thing, you know, makes things safe for the future. That's, there was no purpose of, okay, we are, we need somebody to build a business plan and we are, the objective is that we need to have some uh, cash back from the property or that stuff, that kind of stuff. Each time I've asked to make investment for the domain and explaining why we should do that, they always agree. They have always agreed with that, which is, for me, great. I mean, it's just, of course, they want to preserve what their parents have done, but they weren't obliged to do that. They could have asked, well, listen, man, you, we need a bit more cash. And they could have preferred to secure their own future versus the, the future of the domain. And they choose the domain, which is great, which is really great. And for me, uh, it's hard to explain what they were expecting exactly from me. But uh, I think, yes, the purpose was that. Could you 
manage to keep the identity of Tampier and secure it for, for the future, for the family. Because it's still a family business, okay? Even if I have shares in the, in the business, uh, my shares are a bit specific. I mean, whatever the reason of the end of my contract, whatever, I'm obliged to sell the share back and they are obliged to buy them back. Okay, It's a deal just to make uh, me a bit more involved in, in it. And it's also uh, secure for them about the, 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 the business staying family business which is very, very important. Because it's been in the same family since the 19th century. Yeah, yes, it's, uh, it's, the name is coming from Lulu's family. She was born Tampier, and it's in her family since at least 1834. We are sure about 1834, the, the father bought that part of the property in 1834, and uh, no, no grand, grandfather, uh, I can't remember exactly the, the scale. <laughs> but then Lulu's grand-grand aunt, Leonie, uh, Dampier Rounard, she built the cellar in 1880. I imagine that you've developed a relationship with Lulu as an employee. Yes, of course. Uh, she, she, as you say, uh, it's for me because of the respect, because of what she's representing for me. And uh, it's, I've never been able to call her Lulu. I call her Madame Perrault. <laughs> and she, she can't stand that. She wants me, but it's so hard for me, you know, because of respect. I know, I know that calling her is not uh, missing respect, but for me, it's pretty, pretty hard. So uh, calling her Lulu is, is not very easy for me. And f- also, you know, when you have started something, it's hard to, to lose the, 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 this kind of uh, politesse in a way, you know. Uh, and uh, she is still uh, the, the, the aim of the property, of course. Lucien died in 1996. Who's her uh, husband? Yes, Lucien. And uh, of course, he was. He has been president of the Appellation for 37 years. He was. Uh, he's more than a character of the region. He was buried on the property. If I asked to be buried where I want, it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> no, never. And uh, so, but now Lulu is sort of the, the, the federating people of the old family. She has something like 28 or 29 grand grandchildren. Uh, so you can imagine <laughs> it's and she she's gathering the maximum of them as soon as possible and she's uh, she's a legendary person of course for lots of people and so friendly with uh, so uh, she has such a, an hospitality for everybody you know and uh, and in the same time such a strong uh, character you know she is a strong character she's very very Incredible lady, you know. Ninety, she's going to turn ninety-seven. Very, very more than clever. She's living on her own, doing everything on her own, cooking. You know, we just pass when I'm going to the cellar from the office. You just pass in behind the kitchen, and you have all these smells uh, drive you mad and say, "Well, mm, so, so, so good." She's a lady, a real lady. <laughs> It seems like a strong personality is a hallmark of a lot of people in the payroll family. Mm. That's yeah, yeah. Nearly all, all of them, uh, all of them are, are strong characters. So you could imagine that sometimes when we have board meeting with the six brothers and sisters, it's uh, could be hot. <laughs> but the funny thing is that they are able to to deal together, even if the words are going to be uh, the words are going to be a bit too strong sometimes. Well. 
in the afternoon we can start again and and everything is past and they they can keep going on uh, what we were speaking about and they were they will have very hard discussion but okay they manage with that so that's nice you know and they are all strong characters that's too but i mean given what sounds like sometimes a heated discussion i can't think of a period of time where tampier hasn't been consistently good it's one of those rare states where you're like yeah pretty much any period you look at the wines are good yeah uh well yeah you're right and that's what is surprising even for me you know that it has been said by very very uh, long time customers that the 90s were a period you know after lucien it, it started to decline uh in 1993 and after lucien started to decline it has been said that the wines were a bit more a bit less consistent because again it has been said because of uh, um François and Jean-Marie's relationship sometimes a bit not very easy also the sisters that wanted to know what was going on and maybe they were asking so the relationship between sisters and the two brothers and um some of the wines have been said that you know and and then if you look back at the wines and you taste them right now you say oh the consistency is for us i mean we have to stay at that level <laughs> that's the the you know it's always when i'm i'm tasting these all wines i'm always questioning about are the wines that we are making today able to be at that level that's the key question question for me it's question because of global warming of course but also generally and um, even if we don't speak about global warming are we consistent as they were that's the the the, the stuff because sometimes i feel like people say that about wines that when those wines take a while like in terms of years of bottle age to really show that people will see a transition use that as a reason to talk but then the wines aren't showing well at yeah. that moment because they always take a long time to show mm. and then now when you go back and visit them they're pretty tasty yeah yeah because in I think you know lots of properties that are this way that it has changed you have uh, uh, the loss of a uh, uh, very very important character in the property and you say oh 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 but if the character was that much important it means that he has done a great job in the vineyards and you are relying on the vineyards you are relying on your terroir and if the job has done has been done in the terroir why shouldn't it go and go uh, any longer it must last of course sometimes you see people that are not so consistent that their parents but if the job is done properly and consistently generation to generation you won't see that much changes as far as the key points in the vineyards are respected and done the proper way so i think that was the case at tampier many people have said well listen maybe it's not but the wines were there and they are showing well and maybe there were small details to be uh, uh, to be uh, not exactly corrected you know just precise let's say and and put together to make it a bit more uh, even a bit more consistent but that's all uh, uh, you know i don't have the feeling of never having had the the, the necessity of make definitive change or things like this you know it's always like if the the way um we have to follow was there and that's it you do what has been done at tampier and that's it <laughs> you don't have questions that much to be 
So you started in 2000, and what was the progression in terms of your... Well, first, I was very happy to start with 2000 because that was a good one, easy one, very easy, nice conditions, good crop. So easy, easy one. And then you have 2001, which was very, very early, lots of wind during the harvest, so the shortest harvest we ever had, conditions that were a bit strange with wines really, really concentrated, but more by the wind than by the maturity. But the, in, despite this, the wines were, were really balanced and really interesting, but level of alcohol was a bit too high. Should we say that in, in the US? I mean, the, not exactly 14, a bit more. <laughs> because a lot of times on the label, it says like 11 to 14% yeah, you, on the... <laughs> like you guys don't necessarily <laughs> lock it down. The, the law in the US allows uh, to do that. And Kermit says, just put on your label. You know, you have seen that the, this is a specific label for the US with Kermit on the front side. And, uh, and Kermit said, well, that's it. You have the right to put that. So that's what we do. And it's okay. But you are right. Past vintages were, were printed this way. So then 2002 comes along. 2002, rainy, uh, difficult vintage. I was quite happy to go through that one too because you know it's always you are you are in the rush but you see after that and that the effort that you're asking from the guys to into the, in the vines and also the quality of the job that has been done before help you to pass these vintages we had lots of rain during the harvest not like in Chateau Neuf du Pape where where they receive about more than 500 millimeters in 36 hours we have half of it we received half of it, which is quite a lot, but that was quite fair for us. I mean, we, we didn't suffer like they did. Difficult, we lost about one third of the harvest. We have to make a large selection, you know, pick up and, and select the, gra the grapes very, very, very consistently. But that was okay. And the wines were balanced, not full body, not, but a, a nice balance, you know. Uh, if I should say that, I said a small balance, you still keep that. And th these wines are showing well. For example, the cuvées are, are showing very well now. I love the style of the, the O2. O3, heat, crazy heat. We didn't suffer from the drought uh, in Bandol. We had um, a very nice uh, rain in late uh, April that helped us to go through uh, uh, the whole summer and nearly at the end of the harvest, you can see some more that were having uh, the leaves, you know, uh, the leaves were like uh, cardboard that you can you can break or nearly break. But that was at the deep end of, uh, of the harvest. So we had a normal crop, but the heat was just crazy. And the most remarkable point for me was that despite the fact we are close to the sea, uh, there were no difference in between the temperatures and uh, in day-night temperatures. Nearly, you were so uh, sweat, you know, in 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 in, uh, in the night. That was just crazy. That's my memory about O3. Because that would be unusual. Normally, uh, really unusual. Be... Usually, we have nights where you have all these thermic winds coming from the sea, bringing some freshness. You can be. It's cool, you know. It's uh, very very nice and mild weather. And it helps also the vines achieve the maturity, the good maturity. So it's very good. And all three, crazy. So it's a bit like if you take a basket of, of grapes, you let it in, in, in under the sun, and then you try to make something with that. <laughs> How are those wines showing today? 
Uh, surprisingly, uh, not too bad. I'm, I'm, people are saying that I'm always pessimistic about the vintage uh, and uh, the vintages. And, and uh, all three is not, you understand that all three is not exactly my favorite. But I must admit that I've been surprised sometimes by them. So, some of my friends knowing me, they are trying to. They blind you on uh, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, yeah. they are trying to bribe me after that, you know, saying, yeah, yeah you should you should give us some more. Uh, because they, they pour some bottles of these vintages and they say, well, try that. So I, I can imagine, I know that it is the domain, you know, but I'm always wrong with the vintage because I can't expect such freshness in these vintages. Despite the heat, despite my feeling about the vintage, uh, there are still some balance at Tampier that, I, of course, I feel not responsible at all. I mean, and I know I'm not responsible at all. I know it's the job that has been done for decades into the vineyard. Because when you're dealing with 30, 40, 50, 60 year old vines. Yeah, exactly. And the job that has been done with that also, you know, being organic, being respectful of the terroir because we depend on that. Of course, having all these cuvées, having all the history of Tampier, you you can imagine that we are focused on terroir. And if you want to pay back a minimum of respect back to the terroir, for us, it means at least being organic. And uh, we moved to biodynamic recently, but I was using herbal teas uh, from from different kind of, for about ten years, but I have always, you know, a, a sort of a question: uh, Shall we do the old stuff or not? And all the wines I were I was tasting that really impressed me were surprisingly biodynamic or, or on the way or using it uh, without saying it, you know. And so I said, "Well, listen, we have to we have to try." And so we tried, and now we are. We are on, on biodynamic. The idea for us is to help us uh, reinforce the quality of our own vineyards and preserve the balance that we have in the vines. For me, that's all, you know, just help the plant to enforce its relationships with, uh, with the, the, its close environment and especially the soil to make it a bit more sane and, and more consistent in what she is giving, it is giving to us, I mean, the grapes. Is it hard to convert 38 hectare into biodynamic? Yeah, 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 <laughs> not very easy. And the, but the key point is the guy you are working with, are they concerned about that? Because we have been visiting, I, I carried them uh, with myself and we have been visiting several properties, mostly in the south, because the idea is to, was to visit property that were close to the style of climate we do have or our region or type of soil. So we visited a lot. And uh, the most important thing that I've been told about that was one of my friends from the Rhone Valley said to me, well, you know, biodynamic is what you are going to do about that. I said, what do you mean? It's, and he said, it's the impulse you are giving that is really important. The rest is side. <laughs> so that was interesting. How does that actually play out for you? For me, the idea is that uh, reinforcing the relationship in between the plants in, the, in its really, really close environment. You make the soils lively, of course, a bit more uh, consistent, and you are going to have what we, I don't know how you call that in English, we say, we say let's say, self-defense process on the plant. And um, this is going to help us low down what we have started. And, and definitely, it's uh, quite impressive, the, the level of, for example, of copper we are, we are using. and uh, There's uh, less copper now. Oh, far less, yeah. yeah. 
very, 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 very interesting on that point of view. And for me, the the idea, you know, is to have grapes that are going to reflect maybe a bit more of the deep soils that that you are having under the vines. That's globally the idea. And then into the wines, maybe I'm expecting, and maybe I'm wrong, just a bit more the real minority, the one that you have at the around the, the tongue, you know, and the tongue, you, and then that gives you that. Uh, a sort of saltiness and the fact that when you have finished the, the glass, you, you need another glass, you know, it's bringing, it's calling something more. And also maybe it could be a, one of the aspects to help us to balance the effect of global warming. That's what I'm expecting if, if there is any chance of seeing this kind. But you know, the, the conditions that are, that are promised to us in 50 years, are going to be so different that it's going to be a very, very hard problem anyway. What kind of rootstock should we use? What kind of grape? Is that going to be enough? We are planting vines now and they are going to be uh, decent. Ah, you understand what I mean? You have in, to make, in 30 years. You have to make decisions for climate that you yeah. can't see or feel. And it's, it's, uh, it's a, a generation decision. Vines that we are planting now are going to be consistent and used by us, of course, but the very, very interesting part by the next generation. So uh, with global warming, with the, the speed of the change, is that going to be enough? Are the decisions that we are, we are taking now going to be the good decision? And if they are good, are they going to be good enough? That's very, very... Um, uh, frustrating in a way for me to make this decision and say, oh, is that going to be the good one? Because in the beginning of the 20th century, there was phylloxera, and it mm. looks like in the beginning of not too long from now, yeah. we're seeing our own global crisis. Yeah, yeah. You had, you had the phylloxera, you had the, then, uh, of course, uh, uh, mildew and oidium. We were lucky enough to find out copper and sulfur, and then after all, all the chemicals, well, I don't want to go through chemicals, but it has been part of the deal in in in, in Europe anyway uh, for decades and in in the fifties after the fifties, but now yes you are right global warming could be one of the aspects that we weren't expecting and that is going to be a, a massive change in all over the world. I mean, why not imagine wines in in Great Britain in Belgium or wherever you are, <laughs> and and maybe harder for us, but. To be honest, we are lucky enough to be close to the sea. So the effect of the Mediterranean Sea could, could be very, very useful for us, even in these bad conditions. And maybe inland, it could be worse. And we are close to the sea, usually about maximum of five miles, and then most, most of them are, are closer to the sea. So we are lucky enough about that, maybe. Because that kind of same thing that was a threat to vineyards, which was the vacation rental kind of encroachment on the vineyards, you know, in this area to look overlook the sea where people wanted to build. Uh, that's a very big problem for us, yes. Of course, uh, housing is the biggest problem and, and the, we can't compete the prices. It's, it's a bit difficult because uh, wine producers 
old wine producers that were co-op members or that were even even producers on their own, you know, they asked the mayor or whatever you want to say, well, listen, I'd like to have these pieces of land to, you know, my daughter, she, she I'd like her to have a, a place to make her own home. And so if you could do that, but not on the neighbor, on, just for me. You know, it's always the same. And so the problem is that uh, wine producers have been part of the, you know, putting all these houses one year, one year, and one year. And because of that, it's very hard if you have one uh, house on your left and a house on your right. And just in the middle, you have a very, very nice parcel of bundle. It's very hard to make the owner of that parcel believe that uh, uh, it could be interesting wine, Whereas he's going to earn that much money if he's just waiting till it's effectively possible to build a house on that on that part. So you have lots of parcels also that have been lost because of housing already. And some others where people, they don't want to have vines because they are waiting. Even if you explain them, oh, listen, this is protected. You are not going to have any chance. He's seeing house on both sides. And he said, well, listen, it must be a house. There must be a house at once here. And this is for me. And this is money. So this is a very, very big problem that we are going to face. We are not like Belay close to Nice, of course. That is in the city or or in Bordeaux. Eh? You know you know some properties that are now included in the city. But um, this is going to be a deep problem, you know. As I said, I'm I'm from the Alps. I moved down south. A lot of people are doing that way. You know, not that much people are going up north in France. You don't go up to visit your relatives and find a lot of people from Bandol hanging out in Savoie. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. It's going the other way around most of the time. So what was 2004 like for you? 2004 was uh, for me in a, a good vintage, but that was the, the, the beginning of drought, drought problems for us. 04 was... Uh, we had a huge quantity of rain during the winter, but it started to be dry during the season. But with the reserve, that was okay. And we had a good crop. So Ofo was very nice, very nice crop. We started quite late, if I'm if I'm I'm, I'm right. I think we started on the, the 3rd of September. But maybe because we were a bit late, we weren't ready. We should have harvested a little bit earlier maybe, but... Uh, what I remember about the vintages was that you can feel the sun, you can feel the good conditions, but still balance, considered for us as a very, very good vintage in Mondor. Then 05 was the driest ever in between January and the end of August. But again, with some reserves of water and we had rain during the harvest. And this rain was quite good because it helped us achieve the maturity on some places. And to be honest, it gave us also some juice and some other espressos. So we were happy with that. grapes plumped yeah, up yeah, a little bit. Exactly, exactly. On some places where, you know, these soils that are quite deep enough and as soon as you, you have reserves of water, the vines are, are having a, a great benefit about that. Because you're so, in some variety of clay where in, yeah, for your vineyards. Yeah, you have part of the vineyards that are on... Um, uh, mostly the major part of bundle is based on limestone and clay and then the level of clay could be different you have some pass some places like for those who know the place close to uh, domains like uh, la franverole la noblesse le gros noré all these parts these domains are on very very heavy clay 
uh, very interesting stuff, but uh, specific, <laughs> let's say specific. And then you have other parcels in bundle that are more, uh, more limestone. And then you have parcels that are on alluvion quaternaire, let's say... Um, like a sandy soil. Yeah, more sandy, but, and more drainage soil, profound. But surprisingly, and I was really impressed by that, not that much uh, rich. Uh, and these kind of parcels are very, very interesting when you have these uh, dry season, you know, because the, the roots are quite profound, the reserves of water, of water are still there, and you could manage with, with very, very elegant wines on these parcels that are very, very helpful on some vintages where in the on the top of the the slopes you know it's going to be a bit uh more let's say um hard wines with sharpening tannins you know a bit aggressive bit bit like if it's to concentrate and you are very happy to have the other one with that uh, full body wines but elegant not too strong to marry to balance the rest you know at the same time, you plant different grape varieties in the parcels. So of course. Sometimes there's Mouvet, sometimes there's Carignan, sometimes Grenache, sometimes Sincel. Of course, our key grape is Mouvet. So you will find Mouvet nearly everywhere. And then side to that, you have Grenache, Sincel, mostly, and then a very small spot of Carignan and Syrah. Carignan for me is very, very interesting. Lucien used to say that Carignan has no interest. And he, 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 I remember him saying in the tastings, at the same age, I will always prefer a Mourette to a Carignan. He's probably right. But having that, that small amount of Carignan in the blend is always good. It, it's bringing something different, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's not like exactly like salt and pepper, but you, you, you know that even if, if it's 1% or 2% uh, of Carignan, you are going to have a, a, a note that is going to be totally different on the nose and on the palate. And this is very interesting to keep that. I don't know what is the limit of the percentage. Is it 5, 10 or 20? I don't care about that. But I think it's very, very important that we could keep these Carignan to add them in the blend in the future. So we re replanted some Carignan and we, we had some stock. Uh, shall I say that from Priorat? Also, to enlarge the type of Carignan we are the using. The kind of genome. Yeah, yeah. kind of genetics you have. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's interesting. And of course, the key grape is still Mauven. Grenache is usually the one that you, you use to balance Mauven because it has this roundness that is able to, to match very well with the, let's say, aggressive part of the, the Mauven that could be sometimes a bit too hard to, to approach when, we are, when, when you are not familiar with it. And so Grenache is usually the one that you are using to balance Moren. But now with global warming, Grenache sometimes is a bit too much. Too much on the alcohol. Too, too much, much on the alcohol. The, 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 you need to wait for, for a long time for reach a certain rightness, phenolically speaking. And then the, the, the alcohol is quite high. And, and it, so it's a question. It's another question with global warming. What do we have to do with the Grenache? Are they still interesting? What could we do to make them a bit more um, late, to harvest them a bit later? Because you want an extended growing season. You want that level yeah, of complexity. Yeah, yeah. If, if we can, yes, the longer it is, the better it is. 
knowing that at one moment we are in the south, the temperatures are quite high, and if it's uh, if it's the end of the season and if it's rainy every day, it's going to be a large problem. So uh, you, <laughs> it's always a balance. There's nothing simple, you know. Uh, so it's, but anyway, Grenache is interesting, and Senso for me, Senso it's the, you know, it's bringing the elegant elegance part in the, in the wine. It's a very very fine grape. But the problem is that Senso is able to produce huge quantities of grapes, <laughs> very, very big grapes. It was used in the past also as a table grape, and it's very, very tasty. So uh, uh, that's the problem on some to manage to have the good crop on the Senso and not to have too much because if you have too much, you are not going to reach the good maturity. You are not going to, to be able to have a, a certain consistency in the juice you are going to have. So you have to get in there and prune it back. Yeah, that's one of the grape where it's uh, the old vines. Of course, you just let them. You don't care when they are 50 years old and, and more, uh, even 45, 50 years old. It starts to be okay. You don't you you let them on their own. But before that, most of the time, you had to make a green harvest. I know that making a green harvest is not exactly on a on a physiologic point of view very good stuff. But if somebody could explain me how to make to manage. Another way, uh, having vines that are still producing good grapes when they are old and not too much when they are young, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's always very difficult. We try to, to deal with some by uh, having some grass in some parcels, you know. Um, Doing cover uh, crops. Yeah, cover crop and, and sometimes even letting that in the season to have a larger competition with the vineyard, with the vines, especially with Senso, to cool them down to let them have a proper crop on their own. It works, but as we have, we were speaking about dry season on these vintages. When you have this very, very dry season, it, this is a problem. At that moment, it's a problem, so it's not very easy. Do you tend to roll the grass or do you tend to cut the grass? Ah, that's a question. Usually we cut it. Uh, and to be honest, it's more a question of aspect than, uh, than effect. But for what I've seen when using Rolla Flaca, Sometimes the result is not consistent enough, and we have also part of the natural uh, herb growing in our vineyards that are not sensitive to that. They are not going to stop. They are, even if you cut, not, you break them without cutting them, they are going to keep going on. Work, uh, All those herb de Garrigue are pretty, uh, yeah, pretty yeah. tough so, in Provence, so, huh? Some of them are really, really hard. So that's why, and 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 some are really competitive. Some are cold in in uh, in in the local local uh, language. They are called pompao, which means uh, water pumping. <laughs> you can imagine what it means. <laughs> <laughs> How do those different grape varieties that you spoke about evolve over time in bottle age? Does Mouved behave differently with ten years of bottle age, twenty years of bottle age, than Grenache, than Senso? Well. Um, not very easy for me to answer that because one of the aspects that is very, very important for us is the blend. The, of course, our key grape is Morven, but you must have side to the Morven. You must have something. You know, in the, in the 90s, there was sort of a, a race to the 100% Morven in Mandor, said or not said, but people were on the way to produce wines with more and more Morven. And it declined on its own. I mean, people are back now of 
uh, are back to ones with a blend of at least, usually at least 10% of Grenache, Carignan, not that much Sanso. Uh, you don't see mostly, most part of the Sanso is used for the rosé. We do use Sanso, of course, for the reds because I love the Sanso. It's bringing such finesse in the wine. But most of the producers are using Sanso more like a, a rosé grape. So it's very difficult for me to say that concerning Mandol because we don't have wines that are 100% Sanso, 100% Morvedre, 100% whatever you want. It's always a blend. So the idea is just what we are tasting, even when aging in, in barrels, sometimes we are able, because some producers are keeping for one year or two years long, you know, uh, 100% Grenache, 100% Sanso, 100% Carignan in a food. And so you can go there and taste the stuff. And the funny thing, most of the time when I go there to, to visit some of my friends, you know, and you taste something, they don't tell you what, what you are going to taste. And first question I have always... Kind of oh. sounds like your friends are dicks. <laughs> like in terms of the tasting, it sounds like they mess around with you a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the point is that you taste the wine and you say, well, well, that's very nice. How much more there? 50, 55? And the guy said, no, there's no more Oh, come on, there's more No, there's no more And I remember having a discussion with friends and some of them were frightened about that, saying, well, you know, these wines, they don't have any more and you can't you can compare them to the, the wines with more So it means that we don't have... I said, no, no. It means that the terroir is great enough to balance the balance or overtake the, the grape, the grape variety. So it's hard, but when tasting these single grape wines in the cellar, it's obvious that Grenache on its own, you know what it's looking like singing about Southern Rhone. So you know the idea, you, you can see. Sanso, very elegant, probably not made to age that much. Probably, but who knows, who knows. And Mourvedre on its own, because of the strength of the tannin, because of that intensity you can have in uh, you know the funny thing is that when you you ask a woman to taste a bundle for the first time i've never seen one that is happy with the first time but most of the time after that say well it's interesting and the fact is that Mourvedre is a grape that is not uh, front forward you see what i mean and sometimes it's sort of a Mourvedre is a bit like a warrior, you know? It's like, uh, I'm going to show you who I am. And boom. N nearly like a, like a punch, you know? And, and sometimes hard punch without any gloves or it could be a bit uh, sharpening sometimes. You see what I mean with these tannins that could be aggressive and that were really aggressive in the past in Mondol. You remember about old, uh, old producers with that rustic style, very, very aggressive tannins. And sometimes you say, oh, 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 what's that? And then when aging, it moves to something very silky, very elegant and with a lot of complexity. But I guess that the complexity, the complexity is also coming from the blend and from these other grapes. Like if the Morved was the body spine of the wine and you need the rest to make the, sh the, the flesh, to make the all the environment of the of the this body spine. I think that's yeah the, the, my my feeling about these grapes. You know, always keeping the idea of blending. It sounds obvious for me in the south. You know, that's our tradition. But 
it's also uh, the the feeling that if the old guys have done these choices, they were having good reasons to do that. So if you want to change that, first understand why they were doing that. Then you could change. Most of the time, that's not exactly what we are doing. <laughs> we change everything. And after that, we say, oh, listen, they were doing that. Maybe they were all right. So that's one of the aspects, you know. And I think blending is very, very important. So you keep the wine for two years on wood before you release it. Very, very important also. That's by the law of bundle. We must keep them for 18 months, at least in wood. Whatever the size, whatever the form, you can use whatever you want. We use uh, what we call foudre. So... Uh, in between, let's say, in between uh, 15 and 80 hectoliters for those, so it could be quite big. And in between the 15 and an 80 hectoliters, you can easily imagine that the, the, the 15 is going to be a bit faster as an evolution process, and the 80 is a bit, bit uh, more on the reserve, let's say. And that's why you want a mix of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to see, sometimes, you know, if you need to rack a wine and that, it needs to be a bit more, it's a bit too reductive and it's a bit too um, backward, let's say. You need to, to push it a bit. You are going to move it to smaller vats and vats that are a bit more expressive. And if you, you, you feel that they are already a bit uh, easy, that they need to be a bit more uh, on the reserve, then you are going to bring back them back in something a bit bigger and a style of wood also that is going to be a bit more... Uh, straight let's say so when do you do the blend on the cuvees the blend is done nearly at the beginning because we don't have the place and because they are coming from these places so i can't uh vinified you know a, a small spot of mauvais and then a small spot of grenache and so and so on cabasa we harvest of course everything at the same time on la tourtine because of the um, difference of rightness we start with senso grenache on one side and then we have the mauvais and usually we blend quite quickly after the, the wines are downstairs in, in the food. We, we let them achieve the malolactic. And usually in November or December, we start the blending of the La Tourtine, of both Morven on one side and saint Grenache on the other side. And for La Migua, we vinified. In the past, La Migua was vinified all on its own, you know, everything blended together. Now, because of the conditions, it's not exactly possible for us it makes if we if we would like to do that again it means that we will let the grenache and the senso reach a rightness that could be even over ripeness i see and so we prefer to harvest them and then harvest the mauvais with a small spot of grenache and then we blend everything just before going into the the food for the malolactic and on the classic each wine is vinified because of the maturity. So it could be at the beginning, of course, we start with Grenache, uh, Senso, and we, we add some Carignan. Uh, first red on the classic are generally based on Grenache, Senso, and a small spot of Syrah. Then you have some Carignan with some Morven, and at the end you have Morven. And most of the time I keep some Grenache to balance the, the, the Morven, even in the vinification. Just a small amount of Grenache. And all these wines are vinified because of the maturity, in fact. And we are keeping, let's say, this major part of, of the wine in the vats on their own, okay? Just for us to make, um, an, to, to, to have our, an opinion about 
a specific place that is the dominating part of the, the blend we have made, you know? A bit like if we wanted to know exactly which part, uh, this part of the classic, well, this is producing some, sure. this kind of wine and this kind of wine. And then, so the, the wines achieve the malolactic. Uh, most of the time we don't track after the malolactic. So it means that in the spring, usually in May or June, we are going to blend together everything. So the blend is not exactly what people are thinking about making a blend, you know, uh, we are going to put a small amount of that and a small amount of that. It's not exactly what we are doing because we put all the wines, blind testing, taste everything, it's good, we put it in the blend, it's not outside. Oh, I see. So if and you just, if you like the sample, you put it in. Yeah. And the idea is just to preserve the identity of the vintage. Because if we start to say, well, with 1% more of that one and 2% less of that one, it could be more interesting because, 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 blah, 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 blah. At the end, you will have something that is very, very interesting. But if we can preserve the identity of the vintage, so just say if it's not consistent enough for Tampier, just forget it. And if it's consistent enough, it's going to be in the blend. So not so much looking for a house style, just no. looking for what you got from no. that vintage. You know, because of the terroir, because of the way it's, it's the, the job is done in the vines, I, 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 I do believe and I hope that the, the style is still, is still Tampier style. And who tastes with you when you taste? When we make the tasting, we always do the tasting with Francois and Jean-Marie, the two brothers, because they are the, the memory of the domain and it would be stupid not to, to ask them to, to be part of the tastings. And uh, we, with Jennifer also, we, she is my cellar master. And with the, my my viticulturist because he wants to know what what is happening after after what he has done into the vineyard, and also the the oenologist we are working with Daniel Abrial, is very nice guy. He's um, strong head, very very good taster. So it's very interesting to have Francois Perrault and him tasting because they are very very good. Francois is a good taster. Yeah, very very good taster. And uh, it's very, very interesting. And the other point is that most of the time we disagree with Daniel. He's also named Daniel and we disagree. So it's very interesting because it's, uh, it's constructive. It doesn't sound like, but it is. <laughs> Tell me about the different parcels. So, yeah, the, we have um, a scale of uh, different reds. The, the first one, the, the we call Cuvée Classique, is the one without anything on the label. It's the blend of all the places, including a small part of La Tourtine and a larger part of La Migua. Because in La Migua, we have some very, very good Grenache that I'm happy to use in the Classique, as I was explaining, to match the Mourvedre to help. It's not exactly that, but let's say rounding the tannins of the Mourvedre. We will more speak about patine. Patin, uh, patiné, uh, like means, a patina. You, know, you, you see, uh, soften the, sure. the the identity of the the wine by adding a little part of uh, of Grenache, and then of course we have the the cuvées. So the cuvées are la Migua, la Tourtine, and Cabassao. La Migua is on top of the of Le Beausevieux on a very very important geologic accident um, where it went upside down. So you have all the soils on on the subsoils on younger subsoils. And you have also um, a, a nappe de charriage, we say in French. It means that something different has been brought over that uh, later. I see. 
So, and because of that, you have very, very interesting complexity of type of soils in Namigua, based on limestone and clay, based on trias, mostly Michel Calque and, and Etangien. But when you are walking into the vines, you could see the, these differences. Also, the altitude is higher. It's close to 300 meters. So just remember, we are close to the sea, so 300 meters start to be quite interesting. And these are the key points with, let's say, sort of a wild environment because you have small parcels lost in Garrigue, in La Migua. And it's, it, when you are in the vineyards there, you, you, it, it's a bit wilder. We were speaking about housing. There is less housing in La Migua. You have the feeling of being somewhere else. It's very, very different than the rest of the Appellation. And for me, these are the main reasons why, why the wines are different. But I must also say that the blend is a bit different and Migua is only 55, usually 55% Moed, plus quite a large part of Sanso, nearly 25 or a bit more. Which and is a lot comparatively yeah, to the rest yeah, of the wines. Exactly, exactly. And then it's uh, 3% of Syrah and about 15 of Grenache. So this blend is very, very specific of La Migua. Um, it might change in the future because we have replanted some uh, very, I, I expect them to be very, very interesting Morvel. Uh, so it means that maybe we have, we will have a, a percentage of Sanso a bit lower in the future. But mm, these Sanso, they are very, very, very interesting, very, very consistent, and they must be part of the, 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 the wine. La Tourtine. On top of the slope of Le Castellet, uh, total, totally different because it's only one block. You are in La Tourtine. This is one block of vines. This is about nearly six hectares vines. Okay, And on this parcel, it's for the top of the slope, very windy, very sunshiny place. And despite the top of the slope, the soils are profound enough because of a different type of soils than in La Migua, um, profound enough to have good more weather. So La Tourtine looks like a very, very, uh, one of the best terroir for, for, for the Morvel. So that's why the amount of Morvel is generally a bit higher in La Tourtine. And usually in between 80 and 85% of Morvel completed with Grenache and Sanso depends on the vintage. It could be 10% Grenache and 5 Sanso, or it could be half each. Depends on, on the vintages and, and what we have for as a crop on these different grapes, of course. And Cabasa is the, um, the falling part of the hill of La Tourtine. So below it. Just below it and used to be part of La Tourtine. Uh, they started the cuvee in 87, but previously uh, the Cabasa was in La Tourtine. And um, Cabasa, in a way, they, they, they started the cuvee just to show what could be a, a good mauvais and a good place. So it's a 95% Mourette completed with Syrah uh, and a very little uh, Grenache and Sanso. So mostly so mostly Mourette. mostly Mourette and a small spot of Syrah. Vines are older. You can imagine a small amphitheater of uh, terraces we call Restank. And they are facing southwest. Protected from the Mistral by the hill of La Tourtine. But always with thermic winds coming up the hill. So to cool down a bit the, the stuff, because I don't know where the name is coming from, but Cabasao, Cabasao and Cabasse in, in Provencal mean eat. It, uh, to my opinion, it probably means that it's the sun oh. that is 
quite consistent in that place. And so we were, we are quite happy to have these thermic queens coming up the hill, you know, to low down that effect of Cabasau. I guess the name is coming from, from that place. The heat, the, the warm, the warm aspect. Heat. Of, yes, yes. So yes, warm. Sorry, my English, I, I should have the... <gasps> so at one time, different quantities of those cuvées were made yeah. different. That's one of the aspects. It depends on the vintages. We have different crop. Uh, could be very, very, uh, very big changes year to year. One of the aspects right now is that we were speaking about these vintages, and we have we had the range of very, very hard vintages because of droughts. Uh, 04, 05, 06, 07, 08. and because of that, it has had a, a very bad effect on the yields on these parcels, and we have difficulties now to re-increase the level, uh, the, the production of these parcels. Because of these old vines, they have been suffering for long times in conditions that are not very, very easy. And I have the feeling that is it has had a very, very bad effect on that. So it could change, but we didn't, we haven't been able to recover the level of production we were having in the late 90s, for example, on La Mingua and La Tortine. Do you think that biodynamics will maybe bring some of those vines back a little bit? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, uh, what I'm expecting is that the new vines that we have been planting for 10 years and more are, are going to be consistent enough to be part of the blend. For the moment, they are not. So we use them for the rosé. Uh, they are they are very interesting for the rosé, but they are not consistent enough for, for la, la Migua and, for example, and same in La Tourtine. Hopefully, we could have a bit more. But then, you know, it's always uh, the level in the past has been put so high, so high that you need to have vines that are consistent enough to be part of that level. So it needs it needs time. You, you need all, you always need time anyway for that. So that's one of the aspects. Yeah. But the Bendel Classic is a blend of all those sites. Yeah, including some others, including some other parts. We have, I don't know. I, no idea of how many, probably 120 different parcels. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you can imagine that it is spread in different locations. Of course, we have some that are on, on the same location, different parcels on, on the same location, but you can imagine all these spots everywhere. That's one of the aspects of Tampier. It makes the thing not very easy to organize, but it also brings us differences uh, complexity, so it's it's interesting to have all these different places. Is it possible that one day there'll be a fourth bottling of a, a parcel that you have that we haven't seen yet? <laughs> there was one in the past. Oh, is that true? Yeah, there was one called, uh, well, in fact, two, to be honest. There was one called uh, La Louf. La Louf was, let's say, the same thing that Cabasao in La Tourtine. But the, that was a bit the, the aim or the heart of La Migua. So they produced it only two vintages, 87 and 88. And they thought that they better blend everything again. Back with the uh, yes, Migua. Yes, and all the Migua together, including La Louf. But the funny thing is that when you taste now the 87 and 88 La Migua, they are still, they are still consistent enough. <laughs> But now, honestly, I'm uh, I'm not on the way to disappear La Louf again. It's uh, it's part of La Migua, and we must we must have La Louf in La Migua. It's very very important. And also in the past, there was an um, another cuvee that Lucien started 
in the in the late 60s called Cuvée Special. Oh, sure. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, you have seen that one. And uh, and Cuvée Special was a special blend of usually about 80% Mourvedre completed with 20% of Grenache. Mourvedre coming from around the cellar and Grenache coming from La Migua. But that was not exactly the, the um, how could I say, the, the idea of terroir. Even if it it was a, a specificity that all the the traditional cl- of clients of Tampier were used to and were fans. But I decided in 2002 to blend the classic and the cuvée special and make only one classic because I thought that was too hard to explain all the time the differences in between the classic and the cuvée special and 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 also in the same time by blending both it made a classic a bit more consistent. Well, that was also a tough year for you, as you said. Yeah, yeah, and that with was, the rain, and, and but that was the good, the good year to do that. You haven't made a cuvee special since. Never. So bad drought in six, seven, eight. Six was dry again, but cool, very mild, mild weather. The driest ever in between March and November, but reserves of water was quite okay. The crop was medium and, and nice conditions where uh, I love the 06, you know, because it has a bit more freshness than the other one around. And uh, it's very, very interesting, very consistent vintage for me. I do. I like the sixes. Yes. I, I do trust it's going to be a very interesting vintage in the, in the future. 07 is considered by lots of people, including Francois and Jean-Marie, like the best ever. Oh, is that true? Yeah. I'd like to see <laughs> because the driest uh, in during the season, but surprisingly a good match in between the reserves of water, the um, the quantities of leaves uh, leaves we were having, and the crop that was quite small. Sort of a good matches a good match in between all these parameters. So uh, you know, sort of vintages like 82, 98, where you don't have that much a large crop, but the conditions are perfect to do uh, something that is considered as a very, very big one. And I hope it's going to be the case. But again, my preference is probably a bit more for 06 style. But this is, to be honest, I've been uh, trapped in a tasting with that so again. <laughs> but the 06 stays fresh to me. Yeah, fresh, really fresh. Whereas in 07, it's still fresh, but you have the feeling of the the ripeness, you know, these uh, very sunny vintages that you could feel in the in the wine and in the blend. That's the case. 08, the lowest crop we ever had, because it's not considered a, as a dry one, but we had the effect on the cumulating effect on of all these droughts mm-hmm. and especially we had no rain during 07 and during the winter the winter 07 08 and a normal spring so the vines just started properly they they were uh, going well but then the, it became um, we we didn't have any uh, any rain during the, the summer so the smallest crop we ever had 08 then lots of rain during the winter, 09, small crop and fantastic conditions. Good weather, rain when you need rain, good reserves of water, but no no crop. <laughs> so uh, so two short crops are rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very small ones, especially in the in the in the cuvees. 
a bit better on the classic, on the classic on O9, but very good condition. Ten rain all the season long, not very easy uh, to be honest. A millésime de vigneron, you understand what I mean? Sure, you had to work uh, hard. You are very, very, very hard work. But the, the the balance and then the result at the end was quite consistent and very very nice. Eleven, so easy, so easy. Good crop, uh, rain when you need when you need rain. Uh, you know, uh, very very good condition conditions. Sunny, uh, uh, very very nice vintage and maybe a bit more. Uh, uh, you know, like a uh, um, balance in between the 06 and 07 we were speaking about. You can fill it in 11, but because of the crop that is a bit larger, you also have some freshness. You also have a sort of a balance that is in behind that is really, really interesting. I think it's a, it's a great vintage. And 12, um, let's say standard one, you know, you don't have problems. It's okay. You are, it's rainy, but uh, not that much difficult. Uh, it's okay. It's, the the aspect of twelve is that for me, it probably doesn't have the density of the the two thousand vintages that were conditions that show that global warming is more than efficient. But generally speaking, and twelve we are back on a, a more like a northern style, more Nordic style uh, uh, wine. Speaking about bundle, of course. Huh? Sure, sure. And but. You see what I mean, and but I love the balance. The, the, it's really, really uh, elegant, but not so powerful than the, the eleven or nine or eight, six, seven. You see, we are at a lower level, but the balance is lovely. I love the wines, and they are really, really drinkable. You know, it's so easy. And thirteen seems seems to be a bit more concentrate, and the same style, very, very fresh and balanced, but a bit more concentrate than twelve and fourteen is looking similar to 13. Differences, of course, uh, but the wines are too young for the moment. Uh, for what I have seen, you know, we, the rest, they just have finished their um, malolactic before I left. So, uh, for not very easy to, 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 to judge really now. now. Jose seems to be very, very interesting. So, we will see. So, at the estate, when do you start drinking the wines? Like, when do you oh. pull a bottle of... Tampier, what is it? Five year, ten year, fifteen year. That's the problem. The problem is that you know uh, because of tasting the wines really often in the cellar. And to uh, maybe I'm getting used to the drink tannins, them too, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. To, uh, to drink them a bit too young. And for me, I guess that a good good aging is at least five year. Five, year, five years of bottling and 10 years is better. And then uh, uh, if it depends on what, I'd like to say that it depends on what you are going to hit with. It depends on the style of wines you are. And if I want it to be, it depends if you are English or American. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm kidding. But no, you know, I can understand, you know, uh, your own palate too. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny to see that generally speaking, US customers, they prefer their wines when they are let's say, globally speaking, in between five and ten years and maybe a bit older. Whereas um, English people are going to prefer them a bit older. And um, the funny thing that I've been told, uh, <laughs> Roger, Roger uh, Epstein is an English client and he's a, he's, he's a good friend. And he, he told me, uh, told me, you know what, with an English accent, I, I want him, I want, uh, he's saying, you know what, as a wine consumer and connoisseur, us 
English, we are a bit necrophiliac. <laughs> and that's true. They love wines when they are quite old. And now, personally, I think I prefer them a bit with, you know, when you keep that fruit, rich fruit, but when you start to have also more complexity in behind with leather, with some tobacco aromas, some roses, uh, petal, or, you know, all this stuff that you could find in all bundle coming. And as we were s saying earlier, with that silkiness coming on the tendons of Morven. Sometimes when Mouvet ages for a while, mm. it actually tastes fresher. Yeah. The fruit. The fruit tastes like a younger fruit when it's older in bottle. To me, yeah. with Mouvet, which is something unusual. Yeah. I, mean, I, I hope it's also because the because of the grape. First, and also because of aging these wines in these big vats, you know, letting yeah. them a bit sort of a reserve. Um, when opening an old bottle of Tampia, I'm always surprised by the energy you can feel in the in the wine. You know, you pop up the, the bottle, you you pour the, the the glass, and in the glass, the first nose, you say, "Oh, it's tired. It's not going to be very interesting." And then you 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 take it in the mouth, and wow. Far away, uh, fresher and and more younger feeling than than the news, and then you let the wines have some air. Mourvedre need to breathe, in fact, huh? and so you let it have some air, and it's back on far more fruit on the nose, you know, more freshness. And you are right; it's funny to see that that the wines are sort of going the other way back sometimes with all wines, which is really really surprising. But then the the good one of the the way to know the age of the wines is this silkiness you could find in the tannins of the Morvedre. If if you still have too much sharpness, depends on the properties, of course. But if you still have too much sharpness, you can easily think about a young vintage. And if it's still very very punchy and very very fruity, but that you you have a very very silky uh, touch in the in when when drinking it. You can think it's it start to be quite old, and it can age very very long. So as a thought experiment, if you didn't age it for two years in wood and you aged it for eighteen months in wood, you think it would be simpler? Do you think the oxidation we, brings complexity? Or? We 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 do it for about twenty months. Uh, oh, okay, speaking, okay, twenty months, twenty months in uh, for aging. Um, there is a temptation in Mandel to low it down to one year. I think it won't be a good idea. Of course. You know, we are in France, the rules are everywhere, we have to follow them, blah, 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 blah. But I don't, I don't want people to be obliged to do that. If they want to stay uh, on only 12 months in, in their vats, why not? It's less money for them. It's a, but for the wine, I'm not sure it's going to be that much interesting. Maybe because of global warming, maybe we have to think differently and maybe they are right. Maybe we could move to 12 months as a minimum and not anymore. 18 months but I think yeah it's it's part of the ability of aging having that Mourvedre spending these two winters into these big vats this is very very important some other producers you may know are letting them a bit longer and then you could see that the ones are sometimes a bit rustic but when aging they could be really really surprising so it's 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 always a compromise in between your style, what you do believe, and, and that Mourvedre that is so uh, so intense as a grape. That's the key grape, of course. Not alone, but always the key grape. And what about the fermentation? You use steel and you use concrete for the yes. reds? 
Yes. And we use either steel or, or concrete. I'm a great fan about concrete, but we do have steel, uh, stainless steel, and uh, I'm happy to use it sometimes on some on a certain number of, of wines. When is it helpful? Most of the time at the end of the aging, when the wines are a bit too uh, chewy or flappy, I don't know, you know, you, you see what I mean? A bit a little soft, yeah, diffuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Then if you put them in, in stainless steel, they are becoming a bit like stainless steel, a bit more straight. They tighten up. A yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. So after the wood aging? After the wood. Sometimes it's very... How very often useful. does that happen? Not that much. It's uh, it, uh, it has happened about two or three vintages over the 14s I've seen. But it's useful. Sometimes it's useful. And I didn't believe that at the first. And it's also one of the points about the rosé. You can easily imagine that it is the same on the rosé. Sometimes it's, I prefer to have them in the concrete. But I must admit that on certain part of it, when you let it stainless steel, you could see that the wines are more straight or it helps them. That's interesting because sometimes I think that the rosé from Tampier is more reductive and sometimes I think it's less reductive. Mm. And I'm, I'm always like, oh, is it different? Is it me? Is it... That's uh, that's one of the difficult points. I mean, rosé is far away the hardest one to produce for me. Making a rosé is very easy. Uh, it's very easy. Making a good one, phew, it's so hard because you want to to balance things that are not possible. You know, you you want you don't you don't want to have too much color, but you want to have the a certain power in your wine. You don't want to have tannins, but you want structure. You don't want to have acidity, but you want freshness. You don't want it to be flat or, or too much round, but you want, you want it to be rich enough. So it doesn't work. You are always, you know, I don't know, you say, uh, we say on, on, the, on the line and you can fall on one side. So rosé is very, very hard because of that for me. It's uh, very, very difficult. And the other point is that you have to take uh, the major decisions have to be taken in a very, very short period. And it's nearly like if everything was done before the fermenting process. Nearly, of course, you can change everything after. But it's very, very important to know what you are doing when you are pressing, why you have to stop there, why you, you have to continue and to add some of the press or not, and uh, what is going to be the effect. And this is very, very difficult for me. This is very, very hard. And then after you are right, this is the same when aging them either in cement or in stainless steel. It's not going to be the same. And also it depends on how Mourvedre are showing. And also it depends on malolactic. Usually we try to achieve part of the malolactic despite the fact the, the global warming. If we do achieve all the malolactic, I have the feeling that the wines are going to be a bit more too loosey or too... Too, too soft. Yeah, too soft. And, and losing also a, a certain... Um, like a vibrant. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, freshness, of course, but in the same time, losing uh, part of its um, aromas. Oh, okay. And Because of going through the malolactic. So we'd like, I like to achieve part of the malolactic. Personally, I'm nearly thinking about achieving everything if it's possible, if fresh enough. But honestly, the balance with global warming obliges to block part of the malolactic, in fact. And it feels like it's a rosé that's built on different techniques. Like yeah, it's, yeah. It's one of the aspects that is sometimes a bit uh, 
difficult with rosé. It is the fact that it, it's more looking like technical wine, which is not. If you don't have good grapes, it's not going to be good. You could have the best technique ever. It's going to be uh, bullshit. Sorry. But there are lots. <laughs> but yeah, if, you want, yeah. if you want to, good, to do good stuff, you must have good grapes. But good grapes are not going to be enough. You must have a very, very, very good process. And it's not the same rightness than for the reds. So you must be very precise also on that point. So it's, rosé is very hard, in fact. It's very, very, very hard for me. Why is it, do you think, your rosé is always so praised? I mean, it's one of the most well-thought-of rosés in the world, I think. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to say. I don't, I, I, Can I tell you what I think? Yeah, yeah, I'd like to. <laughs> I think it has appealing fruit and it has texture. And I think a lot of times rosés don't have texture. Yeah. And I don't know if that's the Mouvet that has texture or if that's the Bandol, you know, the terroir that has texture, but I think it has texture. Well, you, you point out exactly what, what needs to be said. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's obvious. This is partly the terroir because when you taste some, some other Mourvedre in some other places that are made out of, uh, Rosé that are made out of Mourvedre, some of them are not that much interesting. So you could find some interesting stuff. Huh? So you, but there are, as always, they are linked to the terroir. And also, Mourvedre is, is a very, very interesting grape because it's a bit reductive. It has this ability of producing lots of um, grapefruit or orange uh, smelling, of course. Which is that, nice in rosé. Which is nice, and that sometimes could be boring for some clients, but just wait. Because one of the other aspects is that everybody wants to drink the rosé very, very quickly, whereas they start to be interesting after usually about six months of bottling and they are far away more interesting one year after for me. Me too. So that's one of the aspects, but you know, everybody has finished the rosé. But in that same way that I said, you know, when do you start drinking the reds? When do you usually start drinking the rosé at Tampier? Do you, ah, the problem is that we are, it's, you know, you're it's thirsty too. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the aspects and, 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 and client, the pressure is so big that we are not able to keep enough we keep just a small amount for the library you know and we can open old bottles sometimes of rosé and then you have very very big surprises crazy surprises um, even sometimes we we have two years ago we had a 71 that was just fabulous so uh, it shows that rosé could age very well we had last week we had a, a 06 pleasure yeah i've P had pure pleasure prado back like 01 yeah, yeah. It tastes great yeah, you know, I mean, so I think it's potential is there for Bandol Rosé. I mean, yeah. I mean, I haven't been lucky enough to have Tampier with a lot of age. And that's, <laughs> that's that's one of the aspects. I mean, you 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 could keep them, but on the other end, you know, these wines are not. The tradition was not to keep them. Right. Tradition was to drink them. So, so why not? But the problem is that having this amount of Mourvèd, we use about 50, 55 percent of Mourvèd in our Rosé. Yes, yes, maybe the wines are, they need a bit more time, they need a bit more, uh, maybe, maybe they, they, they needed in the past malolactic and malolactic could help them, you know, balance the different styles and, and give that style where you said that the, the interesting part is that, of course, you have a, a good news, it's, it's interesting, but it's tasty. You can feel the body in the wine. You can match food. Uh, you can match spicy food. The wine is going to be there. It's not going to be lost in somewhere. It's 
because you know the problem for me it's very disappointing because you see too many rosé now that are pale that are uh, it's a bit like it's a fashion too clean and too clean and there's nothing in just wisp, wisp of yeah. flavor and wow you know i have the feeling that it is going to be a bit like uh, beaujolais in the in the past year beaujolais was uh Beaujolais is, is lovely wine. Beaujolais Nouveau is, is a lovely wine. But some producers have produced stuff that were not Beaujolais Nouveau, that were not decent one. And, and people turned the point when they decided, no, Beaujolais Nouveau is just bullshit. I don't want to drink that more. And Beaujolais, I don't want to hear about that. And I have the feeling it's nearly going to be the same for the rosé. At one point, I wonder if people are not going to say, oh, oh this, par- this pale rosé... Uh, uh, no, they are not interesting anymore. And oh, finally, rosé is not interesting anymore. I I don't think we are going to be concerned by that because I hope that the wines are will stay consistent enough to match that. But this is going to be a problem, and this is a problem more like uh, you know a identity problem or. Um, uh, image problem than, than, than real problem, economical problem for us. But I'm speaking generally, of course, and bundle, you could find very, very interesting bundle rosé that are aging, that are consistent. And, and well, we try to, to be on the good line. And I hope that the rosé tempier is still very, very interesting. And, but yes, I, I'd like to make it even more. Who knows? Maybe we could age them sometime and, and propose uh, some some part of the, stu- the stock uh, a bit later, you know. And yeah, like a special reserve. Yeah, like, yeah. Hey, it's obviously more expensive, but, you know. If, if some people would like to try to that. See, and uh, if, yeah. Why not? We will we'll see. We don't have the space at the moment. We, we are very happy that the wines are leaving very quickly because we don't have the space. So <laughs> that's fine. So you do make one wine with no Mouvedra in it, which is the white. What's that yeah. like? Ah, yes, that's true. The, so the white is based on Claret, 50, uh, 55%, 50-55, and then completed with Uniblanc, probably 19, Bourboulingue, 16 or 17, and then a small spot of uh, Roll and Marsan. And uh, the idea was, François decided to plant some, uh, some whites in the, the parcels that were quite late to uh, have... Uh, uh, maturity that were lower for the white. And that was a good idea because Claret is quite a, a, an oxidative grape. It doesn't have that much acidity, but it's a, it's very interesting grape. So it's good to have it in, in the blend, but a bit like the Morved, it's good to have something side to it. And it's very, very interesting. And the white is a very, very small amount of our production. It's 2% of the production. It's uh, And it's based on these grapes and age in a small food. Uh, like the reds, but smaller one, about 10 hectoliters. And it's aged for usually six to 10 months in these tanks before the bottling. So it means that we are later than the rosé with the white. But it's only 2%. How long has the white been made at Tampier? Wow. I think the first vintage that they made in Mandel was probably something like 88 um and because Lucien was not really concerned about white wine he thought that we should let that to uh close appellation we do have around bundle like uh, 
Cassie, Cassie or, or Palette, and you know, and say, well, he was saying, you know, we have good reds, good rosy, white. But it's funny because he was the, a good friend and considered like his um, his son by by uh, Doctor Otlisberger, who was the the people that federated the, the first the the, the the producers from Mandol for the appellation. And this property called uh, Chateau Lamillière was making a, a really, really amazing white wine. It has disappeared, unfortunately, now because of housing. There's no more vines there. But uh, I've been able, thanks to uh, Jean-Marie, to taste all the old wines from, uh, from Chateau Lamillière, white wines. Whew, amazing wines, amazing wines. So it's surprising that Lucien was not that much concerned about white wines. And it's good on the other end that Francois decided to plant some uh, some grapes that we can use now for the wines. And as they are becoming old enough to have a good quality and better quality, it's easier for us also to produce these kind of wines now. How do you determine those percentages, though? I mean, that's a number of different grape varieties blended huh. in. I mean, how do you say, ah, oh, you know, it's going to no, be... No, it's, it's just what we are picking It's, from it's the, what you have. Yes, that's what we have from the vineyards. It's not, uh, you know, same... As for the red, we have what we have and we blend everything. We don't care about if it's, oh no, this could be better if we, no, no. It's just to give an idea, a good, more than an idea, a, a, a sort of a photography of the vintage, you know, that's it. You have the blend. But I think that it, it could be one of the aspects of our reflection in the future. What are we going to do with that white wine? Should we add some other grapes? What could we do to make it maybe a bit more fresh. It doesn't have any acidity. It's looking fresh, but it doesn't have any acidity. Because of Claret, the acidities are very low, but it's still fresh. Surprisingly, it's still fresh. But could we reinforce that? Could we try to make it a bit more complex again? I don't know. We are trying to find out. And there is one of the, the aspects is that we have found a, a white Mourvedre. Oh, okay. Like it's the color of it's white. Like yeah, it's a mutated yeah, Mouvet. Yeah. Yes, it's a mutated Mouvet. And, uh, uh, so we will see if we could find and if we could try some. It's not going to be any more bundle, of course, because <laughs> as the rules don't know the, the, the Mouvet Blanc, uh, white Mouvet, as it, it's not going to be possible to produce if we ever plant some. If we find it very, very interesting and we ever, if we ever plant, if we ever put it into the blend, it's it might be not a bundle exactly sure, at the beginning in the top or something. Yeah. But it'd be like gouge, you know, they have yeah, their own. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes it happens everywhere. Some people are going faster than the than the rules. And sometimes it moves the the lines and it it's good too. Well, I feel like that's also part of the history of Tampier, right? Was moving that's the true. lines of the rules, you know? That's true. Well, in a way, but you know, uh Lucien was uh, also, uh, he stayed president for 37 years for the Appellation and he was more than a, a guarantee for the Appellation because he was focused on quality. He was sort of, a, I would say, a bit mannequin when, when speaking about that. You know, he, I remember you couldn't, you couldn't speak with him if, if it was not about quality. If you say, well, we should... Uh, Listen, this is pretty hard. Mauvais is not very easy as a grape, so maybe we should lower down the level. That was, there was no discussion. There was no question. He would will, he will, he will have tell you, no, 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 no. You must 
try to find out what's not going well into your vineyards. You couldn't. You must find out the problems because you have to use Mouvet. This is the key grape. So you were. You was really focused on this aspect. You know the rules, but in the same time, they always have been uh, open to things different. Uh, they have tried uh, the Marsan and they were producing Marsan with Kermit uh, on Kermit's place in France. Uh, uh, they were producing Marsan on its own and it was table wine. They didn't put it in the bundle because that was not allowed in the, in the blend. And after that, and because they were having Marsan, it became allowed and the, the, it's part of our blend now. But uh, for years, and even when I was working, when I first started, arrived at Tampier, we have producing Marsan on its own as a table wine just for fun in fact and and, and honestly just for coming <laughs> and uh, but they were concerned about that and they were also having what we call we call that a pilot uh what could i say a sort of a, a conservatory of grapes where you could find lots of different grapes Mourvaison, muscardin and and some other stuff and we are probably we will probably do do it again you know Try to see if there are mm, older grapes that maybe have have been uh, stopped because they were not ripe enough, uh, degrees were too low. And maybe with global warming, they are going to be exactly the good degree we are looking for now, you know. So we are going to try to, to plant again these grapes and see what they are able to produce and, and see what they are going to do. So you are right. They are still open mind about that and they are ready to move the line if we need to move the line. Daniel Revier, he has an open mind to continuing a long tradition in Bandol. Thank you for being here today. Thank you very much for hosting me, and uh, that was a great time. <laughs> Thank you very much, no, Daniel Revier of Domaine Tampier. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening. There's no wine to translate winemaking in France, or winemaker. Sure. And it's good because I'm not making wine. I'm just trying to uh, to help the process, you know, and make sure that everything is going well and uh, the way it should be done. <laughs>